Don't you wonder sometimes About sound and vision Sweep. I'm your host, Anthony Longhair LeClaire, and I'm joined by my fabulous co-host, the marvelous Marla the Mouse McCarty. What's up, everybody? And we have a question for you. Did you know that on this day in 1977, David Bowie released Sound and Vision as a single, which was taken from his latest album at the time, Low? I did not know that. Well, now you know. Mm, now I do know. It's a great song. It is. It's a lot of fun. Mm. And very simple and very brief and uh very funky yeah mm. um but anyway it was used uh, apparently by the bbc uh on a bunch of trailers at the time and that was the like, only exposure basically it got because david bowie apparently didn't actually push uh sound and vision at all really on his own um he opted to do a, a qu- to quote this he opted to do nothing to promote the single himself that's kind of interesting, and just to like sort of just see what happens. And it still managed to make number three on the UK charts. Well, yeah, because he's David fucking Bowie. Well, yeah, but there we only just discussed like last week how one of his songs was like the last song that he had that was the number one until Lazarus. Yeah. That was yesterday, wasn't it? Ziggy Stardust. It was like, hey, this is like an amazing thing. And now let's wait 30 years for another, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it was before that. It was like the 90s, I think. Yeah, so it was, it was after um, that, but... wasn't it I'm Afraid of Americans? Right. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, so it was like 97. Yeah. And then he didn't have a hit until essentially he died. Well, this was like, this album was like at the very height of his like thin white dukedom. So like, I'm not surprised that it did as well as it did without any publicity. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so there you go on this... On this day in 1977, I don't know when in that same year Star Wars came out, but that was a thing. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Um, it would have been way cooler if Ziggy Stardust had come out in 1977, because then he could have potentially been in Star Wars with the spiders from Mars. and like. I want to see David you know. Bowie as a stormtrooper. <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> I'd rather see him as a as a bounty hunter while he uses his Bowie knife. His Bowie knife. Yeah. His big American bear hunting knife. Yeah. Because he's David Bowie. <laughs> David Bowie knife. But anyway, um, again, that was on this day in 1977. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on this day in 2020, we have another question for you. We do. We have another question for you. Um, I thought this one was kind of interesting. And it is, which... Artists, do you think the world should love as much as you do? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. David Bowie. <laughs> David Bowie? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Do you have anything to add to that other than just David Bowie? David Bowie. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. I'm, so, huh. Lots to say. Um, but, I mean, so David Bowie had been... Has, had been, I guess, but his music's still around, so it doesn't matter, and will be forever now. But, like, he started in, like, the 60s when his shit first came out. Like, when he first, like, 
put music out there, right? Which means he was playing in the 50s, mm-hmm. which is awesome to think about. Because, like, the Rolling Stones sort of got their start in, like, the late 50s, early 60s, and then just, like, went to town, right? Mm-hmm. And they've been the longest-running fucking rock and roll band ever, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I think you're right about that, actually. And they have got by playing almost the same shit. Mm. Forever. For over 60 years? (laughs) David Bowie started around the same time. And every fucking... Not even every decade sometimes, but like, let's just say every, every decade. He had a new character. He had a new innovation and a new hit that people would be like, what the fuck? And even if it was strange at the time, it ended up being something that was used in popular music after the fact, mm-hmm. right? Like, he, he did his share of, like, mop-toppy stuff, like the Beatles did as well. And so that's fine. But beyond that, he developed into some weird things that people were like, uh, you know, and then he does cool things like Labyrinth in the 80s, and yeah. people are like, oh my god, who the fuck is this guy? And it's like, it's David Bowie, dumbass. Like, how do you mm-hmm. not even know? You know. I think it's kind of interesting. There was like a whole generation of people that were introduced to David Bowie because he was fucking Jareth the Goblin King. Yeah. Yeah. But there was, <coughs> but there was great music in that throughout the whole. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like throughout the whole film, and um, still, some of my favorite David Bowie music comes from that movie. Absolutely. Um, and then, I mean, even beyond when when people because people when they typically think of David Bowie, I think they either think Goblin King. Or they think that Christmas song with Bing Crosby. Mm-hmm. Or they think Ziggy Stardust because, you know, the the paint job, the whole deal, the right? The whole glam or, rock or shit, or yeah, they, they think of the cover of uh, Aladdin Sane with, mm-hmm. like, the, the lightning bolt and all that shit. Like, that's... They think that Iconic. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. But then they don't think about, like, Bring Me the Disco King, and they don't think about The Next Day, which was mm-hmm. a fucking awesome album that had... Uh, a video with Gary Oldman and was it Duda Von Teese in it or some, I can't it was remember. some, I, I'll feel bad now, but, uh, it was some big fashion, um, slash burlesque slash Yeah, I think it might performer. have been Duda Von Teese. I'd have to rewatch the video. But, and that like takes a whole smack at the church and it does. it's like, it's, I think super effective, but I know people like, uh, like, <clears throat> um, who, who gave me her copy of the album because she was like, I just didn't like listening to it. It's like, well, then you just don't like David Bowie. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you just listen to the hits, that's cool. Like, I'm glad you're listening to David Bowie. But there's a reason why I think you should appreciate it at least, even if you don't, you don't have to like it as much as I do, I guess, going mm-hmm. back specifically to the question. But you should appreciate him at least more than you might if you just listen to the hits. Check out some of his other stuff, some of that weird shit, because... That was the groundwork for so many other groups. And it just continues to show that he had a production team that didn't give a fuck as much as he didn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, he was just like, he walks in the room, he says, uh, this is how we're going to do it. This is uh, the way you're going to do it. You're going to play this, whatever. Gets other people to jam. Even does stuff with Mick Jagger, like, whatever. Yeah. Probably more than just the music stuff. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, and so he works with, a ton of brilliant musicians outside of that as well, but just in his own, his own thing, he's, he's like, this is the way it's going to be. Yeah, but that's not going to be a commercial success. Yeah, but I don't care (laughs) because this is the music I'm creating. This is what I'm doing. So in terms of like, 
just artistry. I think he's phenomenal because even if you think it's weird and you don't like it and it's not up your alley, he doesn't care. No. Which is how I try my hardest to work as an artist. Like when people are mm-hmm. like, oh, well, like, why would you even do that? Or like, well, I don't know, maybe you should change that. And be like, well, maybe you should do that then. Mm-hmm. If you don't like the way I'm doing it, then you do it the way you want it because I'm doing it the way I want it. He was unapologetically David Bowie. Yeah. Just, yeah. Like even, and, and when he worked with people, he was selective with who he worked with. Like mm-hmm. uh, the whole thing with Coldplay, they wanted him to do a song on, on one of their albums and he, they played the song for him and he was just like, well, it's kind of a shit song, isn't it? Like, yeah, you know, and then just didn't do the recording because mm-hmm. he's David Bowie. Yeah. But then he went on and worked with Arcade Fire and did Reflector, which is an awesome song. But anyway, so, so um, short answer, David Bowie, yeah. a long answer, all of that shit that I just spouted. Yeah. How about you? I Stevie think, Nicks? no, <laughs> I, I see the, the thing I, or I, the boss. um, no, it's actually uh, maybe a slightly unexpected artist from the from my. Uh, Poser. No, it isn't actually. <laughs> I'll stop guessing. I'll let you just tell um, me. <laughs> I'm gonna say Graham Nash. Interesting. Yeah, I thought you would find that interesting. Um, I'm gonna say Graham Nash because he is one of the people that I can definitively say changed my thoughts about songwriting. Absolutely, he did. I. Listen to, so everybody sort of knows him as like, you know, the guy who sings the high parts from Crosby, Stills and Nash or the one guy from the, from the Hollies or whatever. If like, anyone knows him. If anyone knows who he is at all. Like, and that's the thing too, because he's such a well-known artist, but also not at the same time because he's well-known for being in groups. But I'm talking his solo stuff. I'm talking, um, songs for beginners and wild tales and, um, like his, and some of his newer stuff, I can't remember the name of his newest album and it's bugging me, but anyways, regardless, I think Graham Nash out of anyone I can think of does the best job of being simplistic yet completely beautiful with his writing. And Graham Nash was the person who I listened to his music and I was like, so, cause I was so used to, you know, listening to like the Beatles or Stevie Nicks or people that just get really poetic and flowery with their songwriting. And a lot of people do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's beautiful and I love it. But you listen to Graham Nash and he's so good at just capturing moments in life and putting them into song. And you sit back and you go, wow, that's not something I would typically think about writing a song about. But now that you really think about it, you're like, wow, that's really beautiful. Like the song, like the Crosby, Stills and Nash song, Our House. He literally wrote that song. In the middle of the <laughs> Different song. I know. Um, but yeah, he, he literally wrote that song. Um, he was with Joni Mitchell at the time. And they went into town for breakfast. And then she saw a vase in the window of an antique shop that she really liked. So she went in and bought it. And then they went back to their place. And he was like, you know, I'll light the fire. You put some flowers in that vase that you bought today. You know, I'll stare at the fire for hours and hours while you play your love songs just for me. Like, it's really simple stuff like that. And you sit back and you go, wow, that's really fucking beautiful. And I never thought to sit and write a song like that. And it just, listening to that, listening to his lyrics and the way he writes about just, like, moments in life that are simple yet so beautiful to me 
is wonderful. And I think that's why more people should love him because I think he's a brilliant songwriter in his, like, simplisticness. So, so basically, because of songwriting, and on my point, because of um, purpose and drive working as an artist with their own vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. With sound and vision. Sound and vision. Um, <laughs> so, going to, you know, mm-hmm. David Bowie. Um, now, opposite of your question, share. What about share? Like The opposite of your question. Mm-hmm. Why someone, people should dislike as much as I do. Okay, so your, your answer to that is share. share. You know why? Why? Because in 1998... She released a song that was like her first hit since 1965, or whenever the fuck. Do you believe in love after love? True. Yeah. Do you know what that song did? What? That song created the T-Pains and the Keshas and the everyone now in popular music. You know why? Because autotune. That's right. Because it was the first use of of autotune as an instrument as opposed to a correctional uh, mm-hmm. tool. Yeah. Which had it been around, I guess Autotune was created in 1997 by some doctor whose name escapes my fucking... One second. And Autotune was created in like 1997 by some doctor whose name escapes my mind, but it... Uh, it was just meant as a correctional tool, right? So, like, mm-hmm. if, if there was, like, a single phrase or a single word even that was just slightly off, they could correct it and people wouldn't notice the difference, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then it just saved you the time and the hassle of recording a whole new track. And it's different now because everything's so digitized and whatever else. But at the time, like, if you were still recording on tape, like, fuck doing that over again, right? And, uh, and yeah, so autotune was helpful. And mm-hmm. then, and I mean, here's the thing. Good for Cher for seeing that pocket of innovation where she was just like, this could be a big deal. And then she got her like first number one hit in 30 years. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like 30 plus years. So good for her. And good for her career. And allegedly when she was in the uh, like in the room with her production team or whatever else, they were mm-hmm. like, no, 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 you need to dial that back. And she was like, if you fucking touch this, I'll tear your throat out, essentially, is what she said. Wow. <laughs> so And so the rough mix became, the final mix became that song, became a hit and sold like 10 million copies. Mm-hmm. So good for her on that score, right? But the thing that gets me is, because I've heard T-Pain sing without fucking autotune. And he's awesome. Yeah, he was. He was also on uh, on the Masked Singer too, that yes. like that reality show, and ever nobody knew it was him because you know they don't recognize him with his autotune, but he has a hell of a voice. Yeah, and it's like I would love it if just more of his music was that, but people now just want that robotic, fake sound. And I'm actually just putting a post online now with um with a quote from a book that i'm currently reading uh about autotune specifically and um my point is i'll always prefer the the vulnerability and intimacy of a real human voice 
Yeah. And that's why every time we review something, I'm always just like, if I can't understand the vocals, then you lost me. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot harder for me to give a shit about your music if I can't understand you or if you're so heavily affected that I... I lose the humanity of that thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with Kesha, too. Like, Kesha's yeah. a really good singer. She didn't but, used to be. Like... Because <laughs> well, I've heard the tracks of her stuff without the autotune, like, yeah. in the beginning, and I was like, oh. I, I think I may have heard those, too, but, like, she... Like, in recent... Like, in more recent years, like, mm-hmm. after her comeback, I guess, like, she did... Yes. She did a cover of a Bob Dylan song, that It Ain't Me, Babe, and I'm sitting back going, holy fuck, I can't believe I'm enjoying this. Like, this is really good. Yeah, why didn't you just do and that? And it's Kesha. Like, why did you... Exactly. Yeah, Post Malone does Post the Malone same. Post Malone does Yeah, he did a cover of Bob Dylan's song, too. And I'm like, why don't you just do that? You have a really good voice. Because it's not commercially uh, successful. Yeah. And... That, I think, is something that we should change, and now I'm just going to, like, stand on a soapbox and talk about how, when I record music, I don't use autotune, because I think there's, like, even when we were in studio at uh, Armando's place in mm-hmm. Ottawa, it was just like, I want the least amount of shit done to any of this. Like, yeah, fix that one line. Like, as a correctional tool, cool, but if you're running it all the way through, through, like, Melodyne or whatever autotune thing you're using, yeah. like, no thank you, just leave it. Because mm-hmm. if you listen to music from the from the fifties, sixties, seventies, even eighties, and into the nineties, you find uh, music that has like little bits of fuck up, and you're like, oh wait, that like that buzz was there, or you can hear the in the voice or whatever, mm-hmm. or you can hear those things, and you're just like, wait, but shouldn't that like I can't believe they missed that in the edit. It's like no, they didn't fucking miss it. It's just that's the song, yeah. and that's the reality of the song. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is way more important because when you're playing live, unless you're lip syncing, which half the fucking musicians do now anyway, uh, you're going to get a different sound. Or unless you just specifically make your studio version the live version and just have everything run through so many effects when you sing through that mic. Um, But, like, having busked for years and played gigs live and all that kind of shit, like, I don't use auto-tune stuff like i'll use the harmonizer because it, it fills the space more now i have you so you're my new harmonizer <laughs> and so that it changes dynamics sure but that's you're hearing my voice and like people are always like oh you should turn up more reverb it's like you got a great voice but you should turn on more reverb and it's just like i like having the reverb because it does also help fill the room so that's sure but when people like say oh you should you should use more you should use more it's like do you actually like the voice, but you just want to hear more reverb? Or do you actually just dislike my voice and need it to be covered with reverb? Or are you so used to processed music that you you desire so badly to hear that reverb because that's to you what makes it legitimate music? Mm-hmm. And that drives me mental because when you're just jamming with friends or you're just sitting by the river or you're just like standing on the street corner... You just have your voice or your friend's voices and you're just sharing that moment and that's fucking real music. And then people go and listen to whatever shit is out there today. There is good music out there, of course, and good music that uses effects and all that kind of stuff for sure. Like Trent Reznor is a perfect example of someone who uses so much digital 
effect and but to as a tool yeah that's a thing and like as for, as an instrument that doesn't cover up his talent yeah like exactly that's the thing is like for me i i don't mind when if someone uses like technology in to enhance their music like i think i think it's cool when people like get experimental with that kind of shit but like it's for me i want to hear your voice i want to hear what you sound like you can do all kinds of weird stuff in the background. That's fine. Get experimental with it as much as you want. I think it's cool when people do that. I love it. But it's just, I, I want to hear what you sound like. Yeah. Um, we've gone like five or so minutes over what a normal daily sweep is. So uh, we'll leave it there. That's your daily sweep for the day. Uh, thanks so much for putting up with our jabbering. Uh, and we will be back tomorrow to sweep something else out from underneath the proverbial rug. We'll see you guys later. of sound and vision And I will sing Waiting for the gift of sound and vision Drifting into my solitude Over my head Don't you wonder sometimes About sound and vision